I love the activity of sound. Ears have ears with Brooke Olsen. Unexplored territories in sound. You are tuned into Ears Have Ears on FBI 94.5 FM. My name is Brooke Olson and it's really lovely to have your company as always. We're going to have a listen to the very first of our Ears Have Ears live special events that took place on FBI's stage, their live performance broadcast space at the FBI offices in Sydney. We asked our favourite experimental musicians to come on stage and perform a soundtrack live in front of a studio audience and also some of our most favourite experimental music innovators to facilitate a Q&A. And the first one tonight features a metal laptop soundtrack by Sydney's Marcus Whale. After that, we'll also hear a Q&A facilitated by the excellent curator and teacher Pia Van Gelder. Let's head back now and have a listen to this special broadcast, Ears Have Ears Live on FBI Radio. Listeners, you are tuned live to Ears Have Ears, Unexplored Territories in Sound. My name is Brooke Olson and uh, we're coming to you on stage from FBI's live performance broadcast space in Alexandria, Sydney. Huge hello to our listeners at home. So lovely that you can join us for this very special event. And also we have a live studio audience here tonight. So hello, let's, let's hear from you all. <laughs> such a warm reception. Uh, we have about 100 or so people crammed into FBI's generally offices to watch this amazing live performance and this is the first of a four-part soundtrack series that we'll be doing in this space. So Ears Have Ears Live is really about inviting experimental musicians onto the stage to perform soundtracks and discuss their music. And the very first one tonight features Sydney electronic producer Marcus Whale who will be coming to the stage right now. Um, he's known for his innovative uh, musical excursions into disfigured pop, does a zillion things in Sydney. In fact, I would say he's really kind of, you know, very gluey in Sydney's kind of music culture. Uh, you may know from him from his other groups, Black Vanilla and Collarbones, but we're going to hear Marcus Whale perform a 20-minute soundtrack, which is called 2004. After the performance, there will be a Q&A between Marcus and the incredible enigmatic curator, teacher, Pia Van Gelder, so make sure you stay tuned for that. And Marcus Whale, he's performing a soundtrack which is based on a poem by Dennis Cooper, 
Uh, it is called After School Street Football and Eighth Grade. And I'll let Marcus explain a bit more about it after he has finished performing. But without any more hesitation, Marcus Whale, live for Ears Have Ears. Give him a round of applause.
Jane sparkled, cut off way above the knee. And my friends and I would watch them from my porch. Books of poems lost in our laps, eyes wide as tropical fish behind our glasses. Football flashed from hand to hand, tennis shoes gripped in the asphalt. Sweat spotlight on their strong backs. We would dream of hugging them and crouch later in weird rooms. Two of them came over, hands on their hips, asking us to throw it to them. Which Arthur did badly, and they chased it back. One turned to yell thanks, and we dreamed of his long teeth in our necks. We wanted them to wander over, place deep, wet underarms to our lips and then their white asses, then those loud mouths. One day, one guy was very tired, didn't move fast enough, so a car hit him and he sprawled 50 feet away. Sexy, but he was dead, blood like lipstick. Then those great boys stood together on the sidewalk and we joined them. Mixing in like one big friendship. To the cops who asked if we were. And those boys were too sad to counter. We'd known his name, Tim and how he'd turned to thank us nicely. But now he was under a sheet, anonymous as God, the big boys crying, spitting words, and we stunned like intellectuals get, our high voices soft as the tinkling of a chandelier on a ceiling too high to see.
bodies have ears, unexplored territories in sound on the stage at FBI's live performance broadcast space. That was Marcus Whale performing an amazing exclusive soundtrack, Never Before Heard, which is what we like to do a lot of on this program. Hello if you are tuned in at home and you're wondering what all that noise is about. We do have a hundred or so people here crammed in and watching this stuff happen live. Very exciting for us. My name is Brooke Olson. I am the presenter of Ears Have Ears. So now I'd like to introduce Miss Pia Van Gelder onto the stage. Hi, Brooke. Pia Van Gelder is an amazing electronic artist, curator and teacher. She's pretty much very solid as far as Sydney's experimental music community goes. She's really a fixture of it. And she's been involved in artist-run spaces and a whole bunch of things, really, for a very long time, including the artist-run spaces, Lanfranchi's Memorial Discotheque, Serial Space. She curated Dorkbot, which is this fantastic series of people doing strange things with electricity. She's lectured at the College of Fine Arts and the University of New South Wales, and she's currently intensely undergoing a PhD. Uh, yes, which is taking up a lot of her time, but she's, she's given up some time tonight to come and facilitate this Q&A. So welcome to the stage, Pia, and I'd like to invite Marcus back on as well. Hi, Marcus. Hi, Pia. I liked your set. Oh, thanks a lot for, uh, for being here. Oh, no, thanks for talking. performing. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you first about um, the piece 2004 um, and specifically um, its relationship with the poem After School Street Football 8th Grade by Dennis Cooper, which you read during the piece. That's right, yeah. the, the whole thing, the entire poem. It's yeah. one, of, one of his longer ones um, because most of them are really spare, very, um, very reduced kinds of writing mm. um, but what I what I kind of was drawn to with this poem and also uh, having a kind of basis at all was because it's a um, because it's meant to be a kind of imaginary soundtrack I wanted to illustrate something maybe in a more literal literally a literal way um, because the kind of music that I was doing in that set, to me, communicates the, the kind of, um, I suppose, the, the dark, um, the dark, confusing feeling of desire that you get when you're a teenager, like just trying to sort through all of that, um, like utter, um, confusion. utter confusion. Yeah. The confusion sort of the central thing there. Yeah. I kind of. Dennis Cooper's, well, Dennis Cooper's probably my favourite writer. Um, and for me, the way that he writes about those sorts of feelings mm. um, crystallise things that I want to communicate about my experience, which is why yeah. it's called 2004. Because when I was in eighth grade, it was 2004. Right. So, I was going to ask you, like, if you could travel back in time and talk to your former self of 2004, what would you say to the young Marcus Whale? Um, just stop looking at all those jocks. <laughs> it's kind of the number one thing. Look well, back at the school books. Yeah, look back at this. You know, you could have done so much better. <laughs> 
<laughs> so much better. So the yeah, I think I would I would tell him that you should stop fetishizing the straight white man. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, although kind of ironically, this this piece is about fetishizing the straight white mm. man, but perhaps mm. it's about unpacking the the problems of that and yeah. the, the difficulties of of being of making yourself uh, submissive to to those kind of dominant political forces in the world. Yes. Um, and I think maybe that's a lesson that I would have liked to have learned earlier in my life. Mm. Yeah. That's really insightful. And I think, you know, that's the thing about um, Cooper's poem is that there, there are these kind of parallels of, um, of like sort of voyeurism in a, in a sense, like um, of these, you know, boys watching, um, watching this other identity out there on the, on the street. And, um, and then there's this tragedy, you know, at, at the end as well. Um, so moving on... Um, because it, it does sort of resonate with this work that you're um, creating at the moment, um, My Captain, which is a song that we've heard on FBI, I think, quite a bit. Um, and thankfully, I actually got to see it uh, performed live the other night at Red Rattler. But I'm, I was sort of looking at some of the uh, discussion that you've had lately about it. And um, I want to I want to read something that you've said. Uh, it's on the internet. You can look it up. Um, I'm, you said I'm singing about being transformed to be reborn in the face of a colony based on dispossession, hierarchy, and control. I want my queerness to reject the heteronormative forces that govern us now and from the past. Against this background. My captain is my hymn to the power of queer resistance. I was watching you, uh, sorry, I wanted to say that I was watching you sing My Captain the other night and I was wondering if you're singing as Nesbitt to your Captain Moonlight and how did you come across the story of Captain Moonlight and um, his lover? So, yes, in this song and across a lot of the other songs on the album, I take a submissive position. Um, and I think partly because I felt weird about identifying with, with dominance, I suppose. And, and especially given like the power of, of having an authorial voice, mm -hmm. it's, it's really intense, I yeah. think. Like making all of you here um, listening on the radio and, and here in the room, um, listen to what I'm doing. It's it's a really powerful. So I think I thought that I felt way more natural in that position, um, and I think also I I wanted to complicate the the way that I mean this is the same story. Mm -hmm. The way that that we um, look up to and yeah. fetishize strong, white, hetero-looking men. Mm. Um, and, and also the way that, that um, encourages, I think encourages people in that position to be, to take on a kind of brutal power, mm. power position. And um, so for me, I, I wanted to subvert that. I wanted to um, talk about what it's like to be in that, other position um, and 
the answer your second part of your question, um, I found out about this story, which is quite it's quite a an emblematic one in mm, colonial history. Yeah, yeah. And, and and specifically like gay male history. Mm. It's like you know, there's like club nights that that are named after Captain Moonlight um, because of, of the the idea of there being this really transgressive figure mm. um, who might have been into men. Um, but at the same time, like for me, um, the way that the, the mythology is formed around him is that he is this kind of uh, really powerful figure. But he, he, he and all his little... Um, friends yeah, who gang. are with him, his gang. He had a gang. They were sort of uh, actually just on the lookout for work when they got, when they held up a sheep station mm. and were like almost starving to death because of the walk to New South Wales where there was more work. Like they were out of work in Victoria. Yeah. And and so really there's this kind of elevation of him to this powerful position, but really there's the, it was a story of failure. Yeah. Yeah. And, th and they were also a collective as well. And I think, I mean, he sort of it gets a lot of attention as this mm. figure mm. Um, because of this, this status that he has. And yet, you know, Nesbitt is also part of that story. He's part of that gang and he was very much an inspiration to Moonlight and yet doesn't really get any, you know, the, there's not a story, there's not a biography. He's of, the object. Death, but yeah. He's the object. He doesn't get to be the subject. Yeah. I suppose maybe I was attracted to the idea of, of taking it to that, to that position as well. Yeah. Because, yeah, we never hear about his perspective. We, we always hear about Moonlight's letters to James Nesbitt, yes. which you can find online. Yeah. Um, so... Um, so I was, yeah, I was interested in this imaginary other perspective, which I don't know anything about. It's ultimately me drawing from the mythological positions. Yeah. There. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, fascinating. I actually started reading some uh, of this really, it's not a very good uh, sort of historical novel based on the story <laughs> of Captain Moonlight. I didn't get through it on the weekend, but um, it was really uh, page turner. Um, so... Um, I, I'm recalling also the, in the performance from um, Red Rattler last week of um, your forthcoming album, um, I, was, I was listening to you perform with two drummers, um, I, one either side of you, uh, drumming like something from a marching band um, and, and these kind of like eerie horns that you were sort of battling with um, and... The, the atmosphere was like absolutely intense um, with a definite sense of urgency, like, like you're calling people to attention. And I'm wondering what you're calling, like what you want people's attention for. I mean, there's, there's maybe two answers to that, or maybe three. Uh, <laughs> so... Maybe conceptually, like those references, like having horns and drums was about uh, kind of trying to subvert these, these symbols of particularly British colonial power mm. um, and make them say other things. Um, secondly, it's just a very, very powerful sort of sound. Like it, it, it Absolutely. you know, on a semantic level, like I felt 
I was responding to it thinking, I really want to have a lot of impact. Um, I, it's, it's kind of, sometimes it's that simple. It's just like, yeah. this, is, this, has, this has the power to illustrate the, the words that I'm trying to sing. Mm. Um, and then the third one is probably just because I, um, like, like all artists, uh, is a, I'm a narcissist. <laughs> I think it also rallies people attention to this idea of resistance as well, you know, like I'm imagining, you know, there weren't just marching bands for colonial, you know, um, supremacy, um, but there were also marching bands for, you know, for, for, the, for the people who were unheard, you mm. know? Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I'm not as narcissistic as to say that I would be like a rallying crier for the the downtrodden in the world I'm definitely not that but yeah at this yeah I, I would like it to feel like a really monolithic feeling when you're watching the show the live show mm. um, and and for the spectacle of it to be really strong I mean that's kind of the that's what I'm trying to mm. do like do something that 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 is singular that you can't like say isn't what it is like you might not like it but it is it's it's not compromised yeah. yeah but it's also i i feel like as a listener it's empowering that's really nice <laughs> well thanks Pia. oh that's no nice. worries <laughs> anytime um i get one i get one more question so um there hasn't always been uh or you know explicitly been a political element to your work um although i know you've been interested in identity politics for a while I wonder what is mobilising you to make such provocative um, political work at the moment, like now, right now. So th this all starts with me doing music under my own name and having, uh, if you don't know, I, I have another couple of bands. Oh, yeah. And, um, <laughs> and it's more pop music or dance music, both of those forms are very political um, and have political capacity. Um, but in this instance, now that, now that I was like deciding that I needed to make music as me, under my name, I felt the need to, well actually, I should probably contextualize this. I, I'm doing this, I'm making this music because, I'm, because I wanted to make an album about my experience in Australia. And that's sort of it. And, and, and there was no other way for me to approach that except on a completely on a political level yeah. because it's just so, like, nationhood is so fraught and then particularly in a colonial situation. Mm -hmm. And then I, I suppose it, this is me sort of sifting through the confusing mass of political um, messes that, that is, like, being in a country yeah. like this. Yeah. Um, and, you know, particularly, like, the, the sort of history of dispossession. Yeah. I was like, what, where do I stand? Like, mm. where do I fit? Um, like, what is just for me to sing about? Yeah. I don't know. Um, and then also, I think it was important for me to think about um, how, how can I be queer um, and not be normatively queer, especially living, mm. I live in like, I live like two blocks from Taylor Square and I feel really disconnected with that, but yeah. I do live two blocks away from it. So it's like in my face all the time, the, yeah. the need to sort of 
find what it is that I am. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's inspiring. I, I, I yeah, I'm, I'm going to think about that. Um, <laughs> I live two blocks from Taylor Square too. Oh, we should have coffee, coffee. sometime. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I, think, I believe our time is up, so thank you, Marcus, for answering my questions. Thank you, Pia. So there you have it. That was Pia Van Gelder and Marcus Whale live for Ears Have Ears on FBI Radio's performance broadcast stage in Sydney. Huge thank you to everyone who was part of this broadcast. Marcus Whale and Pia Van Gelder, FBI Radio, all of the volunteers and crew, Scarlett DeMaio, the Ears Have Ears executive producer, Sam Ecott, the Ears Have Ears digital producer, you guys for listening at home. And also, of course, if you want to check out more information about the artists, then you can head to Marcus Wales' website. There you will find links to the single that Pia Van Gelder mentioned in the Q&A, My Captain, which he launched at that Red Rattler venue in Marrickville. Uh, MarcusWale.com is his website. If you want to find out more about Pia Van Gelder, then her website is piavangelder.com. And if you want to hear more experimental music, tune in to Ears Have Ears on your radio, FBI 94.5 FM, Thursday nights between 9 and 11 p.m. Or you can head to fbiradio.com, where you might be now, and have a listen back anytime you wish. (laughs) 